0: Can be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you.
1: That is the, uh, that is the first guest speaker that
2: I've ever kissed, so I want everyone to know that.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so good to be here, and thank you for being here this morning. It's going to be such a special morning you're going to be able to participate and celebrate with us our immersion discipleship students graduating students we have 3 graduating students students this year this is no small task it's a 2 year immersed discipleship program it's a lot of work Chris Flores, uh, Jessica Powell, and Joyce Struby are our graduating students. We want to honor and celebrate them this weekend. And I can't tell you how proud and how much I've been blessed by their lives, but I want to thank you. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for encouraging them. Thank you, parents that have worked hard to have your students here and have encouraged them, having them away from home. Thank you, host parents. All three of our students have lived in host homes this year, and you have provided a place for them to grow and to learn and a safe place and a quiet place to land at the end of the day. Thank you, uh, aunts and uncles, grandparents, friends. You have made it possible. Thank you for giving to the program. Thank you for believing in this generation. So thank you. I really appreciate all that you've done. I'm glad to be here, because we've been gone a lot. We were in Israel, and then we went to our national, international convention in Anaheim. And last weekend, our family took us to Seattle. It was a delayed Christmas gift. They wanted to all go to a Mariners game, so we all went to a Mariners game together. But while we were in Seattle, we also went down to the wharf and then Pike Street Market and all that. We went to the Seattle Great Wheel. And um, so this great wheel is like this huge, gigantic Ferris wheel. And so we wanted to go with on it with our family and, you know, be able to see all over. And so we had our three grandkids with us, and each of them had a kind of a different reaction to it. One of them wouldn't even get on. He just refused to get on. There's no way he was getting on that wheel. And so an aunt stayed down with him, and he got ice cream. So the other two... The other two went into one of those little gondolas with us, and there were seven of us um, of the family that kind of piled into one. And and so our three-year-old grandson was with us. And so when we were at the very top, they were pausing it because they were letting people on and off. And while we were up there, he was on up and down, and it was kind of starting to rock. And my daughter-in-law said, Jojo, sit down. We don't want this thing to fall. And... (laughs) And so he gets up and he looks out the window and he looks at the water and he says, well, at least I'd fall in the water. <laughs> and and then his sister, who's eight years old, said, but you don't know how to swim. And and then he said, well, yeah, it's too deep. And so, so everyone, so he kind of had an option B and just in case. But then the 8-year-old granddaughter, just like who she is, her best friend is Siri and Google because she always wants to know stuff, she fully embraced the ride. She was looking at the mountain ranges and wanted to know what was what and the cranes and the ships and which way the sun was going to set. And she was completely engaged. She embraced the whole thing. And so... I just want to share with you how the great will is a, a lot like discipleship, because you have to you have to say yes at getting on. You have to get on to the will. You have to you have to say yes to um, being in a discipleship program, or. Something that causes you to grow and be more like Jesus. Because discipleship is just basically having a passion for Jesus and growing and becoming a person that just is closer and closer and more in love with Jesus and becomes a person that can disciple others. And so you have to say yes. Yes. You've got to say yes. And the students have taught me this over this past year as director. You've got to say yes. And it doesn't mean that your problems all go away because it doesn't. As a matter of fact, they just become magnified because God's got you in a place that you're paying attention. And then it doesn't mean that the gondola is not going to rock because it will. And it doesn't mean that you won't be tired and frustrated and scared at times, but it does mean that you just have to get on. You just have to get on. And another thing that discipleship and the students have taught me this year is that when you do say yes to discipleship, you are saying yes to people speaking into your life, truth tellers into your life. You're not only allowing that to happen, you're welcoming people to speak truth into your life. That tough love, to show to to correct areas in your life, point out areas in your life that God really wants to get a hold of and areas that will cause you to really grow and become more like Jesus. And I want to just emphasize it's, it is tough love, but the word that is most important, it's love and how much we love these students and how much God loves you and to allow people to speak into your life and allow that tough love to change you And it's usually at this point that you're looking for that option B, where you're going, well, at least I'd fall in the water if I get out of this. You know, I want to get out of this. How can I get out of this? And then you realize, well, I may not survive the fall, and so maybe I should just stay where I'm at. But it's it's hard, and you have to just continually say yes to it. And they've also taught me about discipleship is that you serve. And in serving, you grow and you heal. It ignites it. Not only does that just, it happens, but it ignites healing and growth in your life by serving. And I know there's times in all of our lives where we feel like we have nothing to give. We are so wiped out and hit the wall in so many areas of our life. But, we, but in order to let God get to those places where we can really be healed, it's still important to serve and to find a place to serve and it's just continuing like I said to say yes to discipleship. Ron and I have been pastoring um, here at New Life for 28 years and almost 28 years and you know we have kids, we have grandkids, we have marriage, we have life, we have ministry and yet I'm in this continuum of emerging myself in discipleship. I realize how important it is for me to continue to grow and to find places to serve and just to get closer and closer to Jesus and put myself in those areas. And as director of Immersion Discipleship... I'm just trying to encourage others to dive in, others, young adults to dive in and take the plunge and get on the wheel. Discipleship is a moment-to-moment choice, and it's not about title, it's not about tenure, and it's not about position. It doesn't matter who you are. Discipleship is for everyone. Discipleship is for everybody every day. It's how we should live our lives. There are many avenues here at New Life to participate in discipleship to grow closer, to get stronger, to have truth-tellers in your life. There's Bible studies, there's AA, there's NA, there's Canby Bible College, there's Pathways, there's Life Groups. All of these are areas um, and opportunities to just say yes to discipleship. Immersion discipleship is just one of many, but they all require participation. It all begins by saying yes. You have to say yes to getting on. And even when the gondola rocks, and it will, I guarantee it, you stay on and you don't look for that option B. Immersion Discipleship is taking applications for the 2015-2016 year. So I would love to talk to you. If you are a young adult, graduated from high school, and you want to be part of this program, I would love to have um, you come and talk to me. There's been a lot of changes. And one of those changes is it's a one-year, two-year option. And so you may not – so you can say yes to a year and then let God decide whether that second year is for you. But there's other changes, and I would love to talk to you about them. So I'm looking forward. Um, You're going to have – you're going to see how God has developed these young leaders this morning. And would you direct your – eyes to the screens as you
1: listen to Chris Flores. Hi, my name is Chris Flores. I'm from the Immersion Discipleship Program. I was born in a small town of Reedsport, Oregon and I was born into a loving Christian family and I have a younger sister who is four years younger than I. Uh, As I said, I was born into a loving Christian family but there were situations outside of the house where I was picked on and bullied from the age of four and unto my teen years, that led into a a situational depression, which would only happen in certain situations. And it would only feel when I was either pushed away or I felt threatened. And so I knew at some point in my life that this was gonna end, and it did. And that's some of the reason why I came into ID to be loved, and so that I as well can love others who have been beaten down and, and desto- like almost destroyed because I know and feel their pain. Coming into ID, uh, it's been really nice because I've felt more loved with other people around me and it's been great. Um, I came into ID by a friend, uh, Tina. She was a graduate from CBC in 2012. And while she was here at CBC, she gained some friends who were in the ID program. And I got to meet them and hang out with them. And I felt this sort of community and friendship that I really longed for. And so they'd never pushed nor convinced me that ID was for me, but through them, God had t- spoke to me and said that this is where I need to be. So now I'm gonna go into three things that I'm taking out of ID. The first one is discipline. Now discipline has two parts to it. The first one is discipline from my mentors and my instructors. They came hard and fast on me, but with love, that they would push me to get things in on time and to get things done, even when it was really, really hard for me, especially school-wise because it really, school isn't very, wasn't the best for me. Second part to that is spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline is something where I had to get up early and walk to class, walk to church, and begin to do journaling and devotions with my fellow peers. And it was journaling that was really hard for me, that I had to just keep on doing and keep on working. Through that, I now am able to journal and look at Scripture and know that God has something for me there. And I I get to um, share it with my my friends and my other people that I love and, and adore. The second big thing that I'm going to come out of idea is time with the Lord. Time with the Lord is relatively hard, but because in ID you're really really busy you're doing things almost consistently you're either doing ministry and you're doing homework and it's hard to have time with God but even through those busy times when you're just consistently doing things you're doing homework or you're setting up for masquerade or first love you you get that sense of presence with the Lord you know that he's there and it's great to have that time even in the busy times where you can feel his presence. And I've always loved that. The third and final thing that I'm going to come out of ideas is the time is becoming a man of God. I can remember that moment last year where God gave me the confidence to step boldly on a beach, like just do some random thing. And I did it, and I came out with it with confidence through the Lord. And with that, I'll be able to share and show God through my confidence, that and what he's done for me. ID has been a great experience for me. I have gone through two years of intense love, and I've loved it so much. And I want to thank you guys for doing that and giving this opportunity to Help me be loved and to be able to grow even. So I just want to thank you guys for that. And now a woman that I get to spend two years with, Jessica Powell. Thank you.
2: I often find myself in this conflict. I tend to have an I know attitude about things. <laughs> uh, from... There's a lot of information that we're surrounded by on a daily basis, isn't there? From news reports to articles to my Facebook news feed to even instructions and advice from people around me. And a way that I cope with all of that information is to just declare and stand my ground and say, I know, oh I know. I already know about the prisoners our lean ministers to in Africa. I already know about the needs in the community like the Canby Center. I already know about the needs here at the church, like VBS. And somehow, when I hear about something familiar, I feel less inclined to help. Often when we hear something we've heard before, maybe a cliche saying or something that's repeated to us over and over, it begins to lose its potency. If you are or ever have been a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You hear something you've heard before and your parents are trying to tell you something and you begin to tune out. My generation may say things like, I heard you the first time, or I know that. If you've been on the other side of that conversation, you may find yourself saying things like, well, if you knew, why didn't you do it? (laughs) Has anyone experienced that? (laughs) My parents were in the front row yesterday and they were like... (laughs) (laughs) I know... But does that change the way I act? Now, this isn't something we do on purpose, but it is something to be aware of as we move forward. The book of James speaks to this. Let's take a look. James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here, James brings up the problem we've just discussed, and he solves it. And he says in verse 22 here, he says, deceiving yourselves, people who are hearers of the word, like me, maybe who may be slow to action, people who say, I know about this, therefore I'm doing my part, we who are quick to listen but slow to take action, maybe you, like me, feel that you aren't ready yet to apply scripture to your life, you're not prepared, you don't feel ready Or maybe you have a busy schedule and just can't bear the thought of adding one more thing to your life. This is not a metaphor. This is an actual deception that many of us face on a regular basis. By merely paying attention to wisdom, it feels like we've done our part. But the Bible is something we can't afford to ignore. Being a believer in Jesus Christ requires us to take action. At the end of the day, you may be the only person who knows how to assemble an Ikea dresser. But it doesn't do you any good if you don't apply yourself to actually doing it. Many of us fall into this trap, don't we? Here's what you will encounter when you start doing what you hear from God. You have a skin in the game. You care. The word of God becomes personal to you, and it speaks to your life in a way like never before. You may hear about something. Hearing about something is very different than doing it yourself. Are there any craft people in the room? Anyone like doing crafts? One person. That's cool. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Any people who don't like doing crafts or just do not do them. I thought I was a craft person until I tried to do one myself. (laughs) They look so easy on Pinterest and you read the, the description and you say, oh, how simple is that? Lovely. How pretty. But now I have a new appreciation For people who do crafts, the attention to detail it takes, the skill and the nimble fingers it takes to make a scrapbook page that looks good. (laughs) This applies directly to your faith, and I'll tell you how. Only when you are personally invested can you have compassion. I'm going to say that one more time and make it personal. Only when I am personally invested can I have compassion. We often experience this. I notice this when I watch The Voice or other shows like America's Got Talent where people compete to make it big in the entertainment industry. I will watch from my couch and say things like, that was great, or that song didn't really fit them, did it? Or that poor man cannot sing at all. Then I text in my vote and sit on my couch. When I'm not the person doing the action, I become the judge. But our faith isn't a spectator sport, is it? We are the body of Christ, and we are the way God works on the earth. If you don't act, who will? I'm so glad we're not in this alone. That we don't have to use our own strength to do bold things for God. But we serve a loving, generous God who freely gives us His. So, how do we do this? This all sounds great, but how do we actually become doers who act? Verse 25 tells us how. The one who looks into the perfect law, and what does it say? Perseveres, that is the man who will be blessed in his doing. Perseverance is the key. In the original language, this word simply means to continue. Just continue. Continue in what? In being a doer who acts. What does that look like in our lives? Get started. Start before you feel ready. No one is ever ready. Ready is a myth, if I've ever heard one. Start today. Apply scripture to your life. Then do it again. Then do it again. Then when you stumble, get back up. When you fall, don't be discouraged. Stand up and take another step forward. Make mistakes. Don't be afraid to. Then learn from your mistakes and keep moving forward because of them. We take another step forward and another step forward, and before you know it, you've reached the finish line. Success is taking many small steps in the right direction. Here to tell us what going in the right direction looks like is Joyce Struby.
0: We are not just called to persevere, but to persevere in the right direction. I learned from experience that it is easy to persevere in the wrong direction. And when you do that, you end up in the wrong place. I remember about five years ago when I was going to start my first term of school up in Seattle. My uh, parents graciously agreed to make the road trip up with me from Southern California to Seattle. And I am super excited about this. We're making the trek up north. It's about 2 a.m., and I decide that I'm going to drive after we pull over. And so we get a little rest, and then I decide... I'm going to go. Mom and dad are asleep. I'm feeling good. This is my first time that, g- driving this far up the interstate on my own. So I don't need to bother checking which freeway to get on because I'm 18 at the time, so I know everything. <laughs> so I pull on to the first freeway entrance I see and drive for about 45 minutes. I am feeling great. I see the five interstate sign, feel so accomplished, mom and dad are asleep, so it's like I'm practically driving by myself. And then I see a sign that doesn't make me feel so accomplished. Under that five interstate sign, I see the word south. That is a word you don't want to see when you've been driving for 45 minutes and are trying to get to Seattle. (laughs) And that is where I learned we are not just called to persevere, but to persevere in the right direction. We find that for our lives in verses 26 through 27 of James chapter 1. is different than how we often hear the word religion. We don't like that word, whether in church or outside of the church. Inside the church is pretty common to hear, I love Jesus, but not religion, or it's all about relationship, not religion. Yes, it is about relationship. But the religion that James is using here is not an alternative to relationship. It's something that leads to relationship, both with God and with your fellow man. This religion is not a checklist of do's and don'ts, it's not a set of rules. This word means fearing and worshiping God. James is talking about what the lifestyle of someone who says they worship the almighty, good, loving, powerful God will look like. And what does James say will be the outcome of this true, pure, and undefiled religion? Righteousness and justice. Doing rightly by God and by man. James isn't giving rules about what Christians must do. This is the right direction. This is what we are called to persevere in. Now, why would God want this? Why would James associate pure and undefiled religion or pure and undefiled worship with visiting orphans and widows and watching your mouth and staying unstained from the world? Why wouldn't James say that God wanted to be worshiped by singing songs about how awesome he is and going to church and doing your journaling and Bible reading every day? Because he was talking to Jews who were doing that. They got that part of worship. They were immersed in the scriptures. They went to synagogue, our modern-day equivalent of church, and they prayed multiple times a day. And God never condemns them for that. That is an essential part of worship. But they missed something. Something that I missed for years. And something that if we're not careful, we can miss too. They missed that God was a God of righteousness and justice from the beginning. That God called his people to be people of righteousness and justice from the beginning so that the world who is watching would see these people set apart, would see that these people served a different God and that they would want to be a part of that community, blessed and set apart by the one true God. We see this in Genesis 18. When God is visiting Abraham, is reflecting on the depravity of the surrounding nations. He is so grieved by cities, consumed by lust and greed, by cities that are known for their injustice and perversion. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of a dark, broken world, God sets apart a people to live differently. He says in Genesis 18... Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what was promised him. What was promised to Abraham was that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, that his children would be set apart to bless the world, and then the world would be included in that promise. Psalm 89 says righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. This is the answer. This answers our question of why religion that is worthwhile bridles your tongue. Why religion that is pure and undefiled loves the oppressed, the widow, and the orphan. And remains unstained from the world. Because God is a God of righteousness and justice. And if we're going to follow him, we need to be people of righteousness and justice too. God's desire for the nations to be blessed through his people hasn't changed Galatians 3 tells us, and the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify by the Gentiles, that's us, by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That is what we are called to persevere in. That blessing reflecting the righteous and just character of God. To invite the watching world to be a part of the story we are a part of, this story that started back with Abraham. Because the world is watching. The negative attention from the media, regardless of whether it's accurate or fair or true, that happens to Christians a lot, that is testament to the fact that the world is watching God's people. And that means that we have to decide what story we're going to be a part of. The story the world has to offer or the story that God has called us to. The story of blessing. The story of a God who rescued his people from death and darkness so that they could go spread that message to those who need it. That is everyone. So... Now that we know that justice and righteousness do matter to God, that they are at his very heart, his very core. Thank God James helps us get real practical and do something about it. The first element is righteousness. James addresses bridling our tongue and remaining unstained from the world. This has to do with character and integrity. We are called to bridle our tongue, to speak and live in such a way that the world notices we are different, that we have been changed by the grace of God, that we live for something different than what the world has to offer. Notice this picture of a girl putting a bridle on her horse. A bridle is the headgear used to control a horse. It controls where the horse is going. She puts on that bridle, and she is the one in charge of where that horse goes. That is what we are called to do with our words. It is so easy to let words casually slip or speak before we think and destroy the testimony that the love of God has changed our lives. I struggle with this a lot. I found myself a couple times last night having to remind myself that I was speaking on bridling my tongue. It's hard. But James says that true worshipers of God will do this. True worshipers of God will persevere in using words lovingly and wisely. And remember, perseverance doesn't mean perfect. Just as Jessica was taking those steps Means as you stumble, you keep going, you keep continuing in doing what is right and what is just. And there is a reason that James doesn't just say to look after the widows and the orphans. There's a reason he brings up our words and our lifestyle. Because if those outward expressions of love, aren't brought about by an internal change from the Holy Spirit. It's not religion that is pure and undefiled according to God. It's religion that is pure and undefiled according to me. Proverbs says all a man's ways seem right to him. Where Israel went wrong in their history is when every man did what was right in his own eyes. All that to say, it doesn't matter what seems pure and undefiled to me. I can't do anything on my own. Because we aren't just called to be good people by the Holy Spirit. We are called to strive for this purity, righteousness, and justice led by the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to radically transform us in every area of our lives. Not for me. Not so that I can feel good but to reflect the heart of God to the watching world. And the other element of righteousness is that while we are out caring for the marginalized, the forgotten, and the oppressed, we are to remain unstained from the world. This could easily turn into a checklist of do's and don'ts, of things that will stain you. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to go back to how the world sees religion of checklists and do's and don'ts. What James is talking about here is, again, persevering. The best way to live this out is to know the word of God, is to seek the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And as you're doing that, keep persevering. When you mess up, keep going. Keep seeking out the Holy Spirit, not instead of going out and loving people, but as you are going out and loving people. If we all committed to live by this, just imagine what the Lord could and would do through his body of people, through us, through people that want to be a part of his story and reflect his love to those outside that need it. And this brings us directly to the justice element. Visiting the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Caring for those who are oppressed and forgotten and who have been pushed to the fringes of society. We all have people like this in our lives. Whether we acknowledge it or not, there are people that feel left out and forgotten. Probably a lot of people in this room, too. We're called to reach out outside of those church walls but we're also called to love people that may be hurting inside these church walls. Christopher Wright, the author of an amazing book called The Mission of God's People that Changed My Life, talks about walking in the way of the Lord. He starts with Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Wright concludes To walk in the way of the Lord, then, means doing for others what God wishes to have done for them, or more particularly, doing for others what God has already done for you. You know what God is like because you've experienced him in action on your behalf. Now, go and do likewise. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and the prayer teams too, to be available too. We are all called to persevere in the pursuit of righteousness and justice, to persevere, to continue in finding ways to be a part of God's story, to live out God's mission, to bless those around us, to persevere in radically loving the people in this world that so desperately need a Savior. For this time of singing praise to our God, I want you all to ask the Holy Spirit where he is calling you to step up in the area of righteousness and justice, to start persevering, to be a part of his mission. Whether it's starting a conversation with the homeless person you pass every day on the way to work, whether it's taking that first step in reconciling that relationship that feels so broken and so beyond redemption, Whether it's being proactive about resisting temptations you've been struggling with for years. Or whether it is realizing that this can't stop with you. And it's starting to have conversations with your life group about how to persevere in this together. How to start living justly, not just with yourself, but with a group of people around you, of going out and changing how the world sees God's people. The Holy Spirit will guide you to that. He will tell you what he is calling you to. And after that, after you know what the Lord is calling you to do, stand. Physically get up out of your seat and stand. Take a stand to worship as the community of God's people. This broken, hurting world needs you to stand to stand as a testament to the god who heals the god who loves the god who makes new the god who forgives regardless of what you've done whether it was last night or last year the god who forgives and the god who wants you to be a part of his story if we can't stand in here in a worship service we won't be able to stand for him out there. So when you are ready to start living for that God, stand. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503 Please visit us on the web anytime at canbyfoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message
1: to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.